Welcome to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Well, we've reached the end of the line here on I Sleep Great. I trust that you've listened to all of the episodes and are ready to embark on your parenting journey. But before you do, it wouldn't be a Nurture the Next podcast without someone on from Nurture the Next. So I'm really excited to welcome Jen Vita as our final guest. Jen's the organization's chief program officer and works tirelessly to create a future for children and families filled with promise and prosperity. On today's series finale, Jen and I discuss adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, how no human is an island, and what you can do to get involved and create a better world for children. So without further ado, please welcome Jen Vita. Hey, who am I here with? Hey, this is Jen Vida. Jen Vida, I didn't know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> Vida. It is not pronounced phonetically. It is a Hungarian name that um, my father-in-law decided would just be easier to pronounce if he changed the J to an I. Yes. Yeah, sadly mistaken, but the intentions were good. So originally it was Vajda. Vajda. Yes. Okay. And you're from Miami. I am from Miami, Florida. Really, before we get into the conversation here, Jen, tell me who you are and, and what you do here at Nurture the Next. Okay. I am Jennifer Vida, and I am currently the chief program officer for Nurture the Next. Nurture the Next is the statewide chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America. And I have been with the organization since 2014. I'll never forget my first day, August 6, 2014. What happened? Well, it was the first job that I had gotten where, first of all, I interviewed via Skype. I won't tell you my age, but, you know, had never interviewed virtually before. And... I interviewed when I was living somewhere else. And so I had never actually seen anyone I was going to work with. I didn't even know where the office was the first day. I wasn't even really sure how I was supposed to come dressed my first day of work. It's just a really interesting process that just turned out to be a dream experience. Yeah. So that date, I'm not great with dates normally, but that date just like sticks in my head. I always know how long I've been working in order to the next. Jen is currently the Chief Program Officer at Nurture the Next, and I gotta say, I like this programming decision. Thanks for the podcast, Jen. Her experience and knowledge about the organization is deep, and so I asked her to explain exactly what it is that Nurture the Next does. Nurture the Next is an organization that is focused, a statewide organization, I should say, that is focused on different ways to create safe, stable communities and environments for children. A lot of our work is rooted in ACEs research. What are ACEs? ACEs refers to adverse childhood experiences. And it was a study, a very large public health study that was done in the 90s. And basically a summation is that the study demonstrated that there is a direct correlation between health over the lifespan and our experiences when we are infants and children. And when we experience as children high levels of toxic stress, especially prolonged toxic stress, we are more likely to have health issues such actual, as physical, actual yeah. physical health issues like diabetes, COPD, ischemic heart disease, not to mention 
multiple mental health issues as well. And basically the science has been replicated over 200 times since then with the same types of results. So this is real. It is rooted in biology. It is rooted in science. And it really shows how important it is that children have bonding and attachment and feel safe. And also if they do experience traumatic events, that there are buffers in place and that they get the love, support and help that they need is when your little body is flooded with stress hormones over and over again and experiences that, it changes your brain. The way your brain develops, the foundation of your brain floods your body with stress hormones, which we know stress hormones that cause inflammation that we know that are sort of precursors to a lot of health issues that develop, as well as like higher, uh, higher chance that you like smoke or suffer from substance abuse or things like that. You must look at parenting and parents in general so much different than than the average person. It's probably not a black or white issue for you, I would imagine. You, you don't see bad parents or good parents. Right. Why did you guys, I'm realizing I shouldn't have been doing this podcast at all. You, <laughs> you, no, you should have done it. No, I don't know anything no, about parenting. No, absolutely not. I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually happens sometimes in our organization where we do have folks that work for us and work with us and are really passionate about prevention and about seeing children thrive. And they sort of carry sometimes a weight of like, I'm not a parent. I'm not a parent yet, or I don't intend to have children of my own. That does not diminish who we are, our experiences. We've all been children, That's right? True. We're all surrounded by children. I can't think of many people that don't have children around them that they don't love and care for. So that is universal. And I don't think there's any parenting experts, period. And it's interesting when you say, I don't, I typically don't say anything is black and white. Very few things kind of live in that place of complexity and nuance, which makes being me exhausting 99% <laughs> of the time. Um, and it, in fact, the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know anything. Like, yeah. I don't ask me. I don't, I, isn't that I, a I don't know where I'm going. Isn't that a, a truth? And I want to say Allie Wolf, our mm -hmm. uh, little plug for our Allie Wolf episode. Yeah. She's talked to, you know, that's what she said. I was yeah. like, Allie, what did you, what have you found out through your podcast of talking to parents? And she's like, we're all just trying to figure it <laughs> we out. Are. And isn't that just a life thing? Like yes. well, everyone's just trying, anyone, I'm skeptical of anyone that uh, is like, no, I've got it. I, I know the the blueprint. I've got it figured out. Uh, yeah. No, you I don't. Mean, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you might have a lot of things figured out for what works for you. Mm -hmm. Right. But what works for you doesn't work for everyone. Even in the context of parenting, Dr. Rosemary Hunter, a pediatrician at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, you know, Duke educate, like even she was just like, I I have three kids and I thought I had it figured out with the first one and then boom, second one comes uh -huh. and it's a completely different experience. Right. And then the third, completely different set of challenges. So, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, that's certainly one takeaway from this podcast is that it, it's not like it gets easier it maybe necessarily. It doesn't. Anyway, I cut you off. Keep no, going. you're fine. I'm, I actually want to give a little bit of a plug for, um, our nurturing parenting program, the, uh, short-term parenting program that we have, cause you mentioned Dr. Hunter, we love Dr. Hunter, but Dr. Hunter talking about how every experience with each child that she had was different. And that's actually really important because one of the the cornerstones of, of nurturing parenting, um, as opposed to more of a propensity to have like abusive parenting practices, is that we recognize uh, children's individuality and have appropriate expectations of our children and understand that they're all unique. Every child has a different temperament and every child will grow up to be 
their own person. You know what someone told me one time, who's a, a therapist, is he was like, your experience growing up was different than your younger brother's experience. Your younger brother or your older brother, they grew up in a different, it's hard to believe it, but they grew up in a different household. They did. They had a different experience. And I was like, wow, they didn't, no, no, we were brothers. We <laughs> had the same exact, we ate the same dinner. And, and he was like, right. no, they, they had a completely different, and that was, uh, I'm not articulating it well, but the way he said it. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to give you an illustration on why I exhaust myself so much. So that conversation, you know, anyone who has siblings, and I'm not trying to discount folks that have like traumatic family situations or may not feel safe with their families, but people that have siblings that have like good relationships, they feel so close to their siblings. And it's that bond because they grew up in the same house mm -hmm. at the same time. They did not have the same exact experiences. Right. And those things become really important to understand against the, those nuances in situations where, and not to get dark, but in situations where there may be a parent that abuses one specific child, just singles out that child. And no one believes them, sometimes even the siblings, because they're like, that wasn't my experience. Like right. that parent never did that to me. Like, what are you talking about? You're making that up. You know, what are you upset about? So that is a very important key thing to understand, but it, it does go both ways. There is a, a bond that they have because they did have similar experiences, but their experience in and of itself, how they remember it, how they recollect it and remember memory is, is very, yeah, we have a hard time trusting memory because we tend to fill in a lot of gaps one way or the other. It's based on what we, what our values were, what we prioritized, what we chose to remember, how we cope, so many different things. You know, I'm realizing that potentially from a listener's perspective, this episode is taking a tonal and subject matter departure from our other episodes. Our mm -hmm. other episodes, oh, we had a great time. I had baby food. We sang music. I mean, I am happy to sing for you. It's not going to be great, but you know, if you, you know, I'd if you have a favorite I'd band, I'd love to, <laughs> but kidding. we just don't have time. <laughs> Jen's vocal talents and my joking aside, aces are a serious matter. Trauma in childhood can impact the rest of a child's life, and overcoming that trauma can be difficult. To me, it seems like no matter what best laid plans a parent may have for their child, aces are still a risk that cannot always be predicted. It's not all sunshine and roses, and that was getting me down. Thankfully, Jen had some good news in the midst of my gloom. I want to point out that when we talk about aces, we talk about adverse childhood experiences, and we talk about how early traumatic experiences, prolonged toxic stress in childhood, how it can have adverse effects and how it can affect the development of the brain. I also want to say that that is not a guarantee and it is not something that we can do nothing about. The brain maintains plasticity. And so we can also rewire the brain again, right? Through positive experiences, through growth, through learning. For some people that's therapy, some people it is finding community. People go on healing journeys in different ways, but it is not a sentence. It's not like you hear about this and you just sort of, you know, go in a corner and cry and ball up and say, well, what's the point of anything? What, what do we do now? No, there's lots to do. One, we can still continue to mitigate. And two, we can also change the tide, right? We can have progress. We can, we can 
do something actively to keep subsequent generations from the cycle. Yeah. From having that same kind of experience. And when we know better, um, this is an old adage, but when we know better, we do better, or at least we hope we do. And I think that's one of the, the really brilliant things about working at Nurture the Next and working for organizations like ours, that we are willing to learn and we are willing to do our work and take that information and educate and coach and strengthen and inspire as much as possible. But we also maintain humility that sometimes we can't do things about things that we don't know. Yeah. And you and I were talking earlier about like, you know, parents smoking in their cars with their children with the windows rolled up and seatbelts, car seats. I mean, you know, we can go on and on about things that we just did because we didn't know any better. It wasn't an issue. I remember driving around, driving down to Key West with all my siblings and my dog in the back of my dad's pickup, have a bunch of sleeping bags back there. And we do like a 75 mile drive, just laying in the back, looking (laughs) up at the stars. I I would never, I would, (laughs) I would never do that with my own children now. And my father was a firefighter, EMT paramedic. So what does that tell you? Now we know like, no way. We don't even put our dogs back there. That is not safe. Well, and again, the, the smoking analogy has come up on this, uh, for those who have listened and I, and I trust everyone's listened to all the episodes, but, uh, when I was talking to Pete Dunlap, Mm -hmm. digital detangler, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like the, the analogy Uh, of smoking applies today with technology and it's something we're Mm going to look back on and just be like, I cannot believe we were as addicted to technology as we were. And we didn't realize how bad it was for us, but um, listen to that episode because he offers a lot of practical help. Yeah. And let me geek out for a second. I think that's one of those subjects that we is still pretty young in our society, although not as young as people want to think it is Mm -hmm. technology. When you talk about it, we think technology is like this amazing, you know, like Wi-Fi and like iPads and things like that. But technology, electricity, (laughs) technological developments go back to the dawn of man, the wheel. But there is still a lot we don't know about technology and how screen time and how the way that we receive messages and information in 144 characters, sound bites, how that affects brain development. How is it changing the way that, you know, our DNA is read and transcribed in any way in subsequent generations? Are people going to learn differently? What is society going to look like when this has just become part of who we are and we don't function without it? We literally do not function as a society without technology. How does that impact us as humans? And I think we have to start with Poorly. how does it impact the children because yes. the children become adults and then the children give birth or the adults give birth to subsequent generations. So there's a lot we still don't know. I want to return to nurture the next real quick. What is, do families come to you? Do you go to families? And then what are some of the other programs you guys offer? Yeah. So we Resort services. Sure. We have families sometimes come to us. They will self-refer families enrolled in our programs also refer their neighbors, their friends and their family. Those are, you know, great because we have people who have been through the programs kind of talking about the programs and their value. It's it's a great, a great way to get folks to engage with our agency. We have multiple partners, hospitals, uh, birthing centers, other family serving organizations. You guys do a, a shelters a helpline? We do. So we have multiple levels of programming because while we believe that every parent, um, babies don't come with an instruction manual, every parent needs help and support that level 
of help and support does not look the same across the board. So our programs really look to achieve that idea that like meeting you where you are and allowing you to steer that ship, not telling you what you need, but listening to you and having you tell us what you think you need to thrive and taking that direction. So all of our programs are completely voluntary. We do not do anything that is mandated by the courts at all. Mm -hmm. So you're here because you want to be here. You're you're enrolled in our Healthy Families program, which is our long-term evidence-based home visiting program because you want to be, because you bond with your home visitor. You are in one of our nurturing parenting classes because you want to be around peers and get that support and also learn and, and just do the best you can. You call our helpline because you want to. You either want to find services for a friend or you need safe shelter or you just need someone to talk to to help you get through a, a, a difficult time in your life. So it's all voluntary. And I went through some of our programs there. We do have others. We do parenting TN. Yes. So parenting TN.org. I took is, a quiz. You did. Yeah. I, well, how'd you do? Fine. <laughs> Uh, would you have gotten a sticker? I would have gotten like a, <laughs> a you know, like come back uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did. All right. No, actually, I think I did. All right. But don't worry. We take the averages of all your scores. <laughs> so you'll be fine. Yes. Parenting TN is it's it is a site, a website for parents. It is organizations have websites for multiple reasons. They need to market their programs, you know, donors come there. Like this is specifically for our parents and is a resource for parents. And there are all kinds of really fun, cool things. There's quizzes, there's videos, tips and tricks. There's just all kinds of, of ways to um, engage. You know, it's really important to engage with your babies, with yeah. your children. It's really important to build that bonding and attachment that serve and return is a term that's used often in talking about bonding and attachment where serve and return, serve and return. So do you play tennis? Well, that's what I thought. Tennis of. term. Well, yeah. So that's the point. So if I am a baby and I am cooing at you and looking you in the eyes, I'm serving the ball to you. You're going to return it to me. How are you going to return it to me? If you're a parent, uh, I I'm want gonna... you to act it out. I want you okay. to play it out. And you're cooing at me. Yeah. Coo, coo. I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> fault um <laughs> not now no uh, i'm kidding i'm not gonna actually make you do that well but i'm going I, to I, I'm, oh, I'm not oh. i'm certainly not going to ignore right right they're no hopefully she's communicating something right hopefully you're going to engage that is your baby communicating with you and that baby is expecting wanting right that uh, return in that communication so that that is of course, a baby that is at that point where they're like making eye contact and like looking for that exchange. But you have a, a baby that is newly born and cries. You yes. pick up that baby. You feed that baby. You hold that baby close. You do skin to skin contact. All of that is a, a way of serve and return. Yeah. It is the baby knowing that that baby is safe. It, parenting is just a, a tennis match. It, I mean, and yes. the score is love, love. <laughs> Not bad, right? <laughs> yes. I really like the tennis metaphor. Um, How do you know all this? Are you a parent? I am a parent. You're not just a subject I, matter expert. You're a... No, I don't call myself a subject matter expert. I call myself a lifetime student. And I'm a little bit of a hoarder of information. I like to know things for no particular reason mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. 
you know. So a lot of how I live, right, you, you kind of talked about just parenting in general and sort of not looking at things as black and white. A lot of how, how I live is that I've lived through learning. I've lived through experiences. I remember what it was like, like when I have interactions with my children or I have in the past when, when some of them were younger, I really took a minute to like remember what it was like to be that age. Mm -hmm. I remember how the way that I interacted or, or how I was treated at different points. And I'm not making a comment on whether it was good or bad, but how that affected me, impacted me, what I remember. And I, I just use that as a tool in, in interacting with my kids. And I think that, that that's worked for me. And when I talk about myself, I say that I have four children. I gave birth to two of those children. Two of them were gifts in my life. So I have been, I guess that like in that co-parenting situation. And when I was 23, I gave birth to my first biological child. I have a daughter, she's 22. And she is, she has multiple profound disabilities. And it's really since birth. It wasn't from like an injury or something. She was, she was born like that. And they're, um, to this day, we're not 100% certain that we know exactly what her diagnosis is. Interesting. But I could fill an entire filing cabinet with her medical chart and medical records because she's been had complete genetic workups. Like I've learned things that I never even thought I would know about. And so she is 22. And 10 years later, I gave birth to my son. Uh, my son is 12 and he's in sixth grade. And my kids both have IEPs. So they have both have individual education plans and they're for different reasons. My daughter, because she requires like assistive technology and therapies and needs to be in, in special programming. And my son, because he needs additional challenges to not get bored and like keep up. <laughs> yeah. So as where my daughter, um, I could not illustrate a better example of how different your kids can be. My daughter did not start even walking with assistance with the posterior strider walker until she was almost four my son started walking at nine months. Wow. So, and I, they're both my children. I both am who I am as a parent, but how I parent them and how I nurture them and how I um, give them the things that they need at their time looks dramatically different. You know, there's, there's doing things by the book and then there's, and, and you clearly know a lot from your position here at Nurture the Next, but have there ever been times where, even you were just like, I just don't know what. Oh, like every day. Yeah. Like every day, I, I wonder if I've, if I'm doing the right thing and if I've done the right thing. Like, have I, have I done everything that I possibly could? Is there anything that I ever didn't try? And is it too late? Or what is this going to look like in 20 years? You know, for a, a lot of parents, um, it's about like kind of knowing that it's some, I mean, not all the time. This is a cultural thing too. And every family is different, but at most, at some point your kids are going to grow up and they're going to do what they do. They're going to be adults and they're going to kind of function mm -hmm. like on their own, whether that means like financially or professionally, family wise, whatever, that's not going to be the case for us with my daughter. Yeah. So it looks very, very different. I mean, you parent forever. You always 
are a parent, but the level of what that sort of active parenting time looks like and resource allocation looks like is very different for parents with children with profound disabilities. Does being a parent to a child with disabilities, does that like, does that harden you in some ways? Part of the reason I ask is like, I was talking to Dr. Hunter about Mm -hmm. the first time I ever went through Vandy Children's Hospital, which is like a, is, is designed to be like a Disneyland type of place. It's so, you know, there's a lot of colors and it's very like patch Adamsy. But I remember the, the look on the parents' faces when I, when they're not happy and Mm -hmm. they're scared and afraid and you and I just thought like, oh, this is this is hard for them. They don't want to be in this situation. And this is sort of a what you're dealing with is like a prolonged yeah. kind of version of that. Yeah. What I think it's important to remember generally with everything all the time is that many things can coexist at one time. So you can see that parent and that parent can visibly externally look stressed or look worried or look tired. That doesn't mean that that parent is not also profoundly grateful and full of love while they're still kind of resentful and also exhausted and also sometimes question what their lives would look like differently. Those things can coexist Mm -hmm. because human beings are very complex and very complicated. And, you know, what we show the world sometimes or what we look like sometimes isn't always, it's just a very small part of the story. So as as far as the hardening piece being like a, a still in my young 20s, like just learning everything, yeah. I, yeah, I did. I really, I had a really difficult time with empathy at some points because I would hear my friends or people like complaining about things and being unhappy and stressed. And I would kind of internally roll my eyes while still trying to be a supportive friend and be like, okay, tell me again about your problems. Like, yeah. tell me again about how hard you have it. Yeah. I mean, I'm still go to that place sometimes. And I, but I have had to force myself to um, understand that everyone is different and everyone's experiences feels differently to them. And you don't want to minimize regardless because it's just not helpful. Um, especially if you care about someone and you want them to be healthy and you want them to, to be really not just living, but thriving. But yeah, I, it, that, that was an issue for me. And, and luckily I had kind of a mentor at the time that really helped me get my life together in terms of that perspective and would really call me out and say, I get it. Like, I, I understand where you are, but you can't go through life like that. Today, healthcare providers face a daunting task of caring for the health and well-being of others because resources and staff are stretched thin. At Seracor, we provide healthcare IT services that help empower clinical staff, providers, and hospital operators to focus on what they do best, patient care. Seracor has a heritage rooted in our nation's top performing hospitals. With more than 30 years of experience, we partner with hospitals and health systems to become an extension of their technology team. Our clinical and technical professionals work with care locations to provide comprehensive IT and application support, technical professional and managed services, IT advisory services, and EHR consulting. Visit us at seracor.net. That's C-E-R-E-C-O-R-E.net to learn how we help tackle tough IT challenges. At Seracor, we know firsthand the power that integrated technology has on patient care and communities. That's why healthcare IT is the core of what we do. Do you think parents generally struggle with this, like this internally, maybe they're they're facing challenges, but they need to 
especially in the age of social media, like give off a sense of like everything is perfect. And we're at three months and we're at six months and we're at 12 months and look how cute my baby sure. is. And, and I know it differs in terms of like socioeconomics and, and stuff like that. But the dichotomy between how we present ourselves as parents and really the challenges that, that are going on behind the scenes. Is that a thing? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a thing for everyone. I think that if you've spent like five minutes on any social media tool, you've probably run across that piece that's like, don't compare your life to what somebody else shows on social media. Those are the final prints that they selected. We didn't see any of the negatives. Yeah. Like, you're not seeing any of that stuff. And I think that in those moments where they have those videos and those pictures and they have the family photos and everybody looks, they probably are. They're not going to put up there like I had a fight with my husband today about yeah, yeah. who does more for the kids. Like, I mean, they might, but they're probably not going to. And it, interesting. I follow that account. <laughs> I mean, I that's like actually my favorite. I like like the real, you know, especially if people can laugh at it later. And that's actually interesting when you think about like how we remember things again and how we form memory. Like 10 years from now, you might scroll through that and they're going to like remember and see those things. And it's going to bring up happy things. They may remember some of the things that were happening to them, but they they may not. They yeah. may have not. Their brains just may not have registered those things. So it is it, it's, again, super complicated and super complex. Well, I'm glad you just mentioned that you would probably laugh at that because you said to me before we were recording that humor for you has been a big coping mechanism for parenting. And, and you think is something that works. Yes, I believe very strongly in humor. I will uh, give a caveat that I don't believe in disrespectful humor. I don't believe in humor that is bigoted or is mean spirited. Punches down. Right. But I do believe in kind of finding humor, particularly in universal experiences or relatively universal experiences, because I think it normalizes things. And I think if we are that now there is a time to be serious, you know, (laughs) Like there's going to be certain times where you don't crack a joke about something. Right. But I think that being able to laugh together collectively, it helps us cope. Can you, I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of a moment when you and your husband were trying to parent and things just weren't working out well and all you could do was just sort of laugh at the absurdity of the situation? So there was a time we have since gotten we have learned, right? You learn, you get burned a few times and then you learn. My daughter figured out at some point how to open doors because she could, she didn't quite have the dexterity and the fine motor skills to like open doors. So at first, you know, the handle doors, you just kind of pull down. We changed all those because that was really, I mean, cats, I've seen cats open those doors. Yeah. They were like, we're not doing that. So we changed all the doors and she's, then learned to open like doorknob, like doors with the standard doorknobs on them. And so she uh, went into the bathroom and emptied out the entire box of tissues and then proceeded to turn on the sink and basically flooded the bathroom in the hallway. And this all happened so fast. Yeah, <laughs> Like our house is very like danger proof so she has freedom to like crawl around it happened so fast and we ended up having to pull up the rug and we we just we're at first i wanted to be really upset we both were like oh my god this is gonna cost us money like oh but we had to start laughing because it was like of all the things that she could have done clearly in some way stuffing the sink with tissue and then running and just 
just leaving the bathroom with the sink running because she didn't have a reason to turn it off. Yeah. And then flooding the hallway to us. I mean, we just, we had to laugh about it. And we laughed for a long time. Now it's a funny story. But even in the moment, we thought it was kind of funny. I mean, we do that all the time. That's just how we make it day to day. Wish my parents did that for all the things I did. Well, I don't do that all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't do that all the time. But there is also a thing where, you know, we can't, she doesn't have malicious intention. She's not being disrespectful or, you know, so you can't really get, you could get upset, but for what? Yeah. That's for what? Just to be miserable? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Jen, this is going great. I want to talk a little bit just about parenting again. Earlier, you said you like adages. You used an adage and you said to me, you're an English major. I was for undergraduate and you literature a, and linguistics. You have a favorite adage that you think kind of speaks to parenting well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. No human is an island. So John Dunn talks about, essentially illustrates how it's a, it's a ripple effect, how we live in community, how we are the interdependency that humans have with one another because we're social beings and also because we just don't function Singularly. I mean, think of the movie Castaway. Did you ever see Castaway oh with Tom God. Hanks? Okay. Did I see it? Right. And so, can I just say, just since you brought it up. So yeah. Well, oh my gosh. What did I do? <laughs> uh, well, I just, my favorite thing about Castaway is I watch it as an adult. Besides the fact that it's mm-hmm. a great movie mm-hmm. is the character of Wilson, the mm-hmm. volleyball. When you watch that movie growing up, you're like, oh, he's a, it's a silly volleyball. But Wilson, the volleyball, plays a huge impact. That is exactly what I was getting to. And we're on like the same wavelength. I think that we are like speaking to each other mentally serve and return is serve and return. <laughs> yes that is what i think about like wilson like think about how how much for his survival for him to have the will to continue to live tom hanks yes tom hanks character i don't remember what his name i know it was a fedex person but i know his name is wilson became that person to him if you've ever seen i am legend with will smith and he talks to the mannequins that he dresses up when he goes into the store to because there's no other humans around we are social creatures we need each other Mm -hmm. so do we need do we need to actively work on developing generations of folks that are going to live that are going to be healthy people that are going to be loving and nurturing and giving or do we want to because we can't escape it or do we want to actively work for or just by virtue of not doing anything be complicit in raising generations that are in the same situation that we've grown up Mm -hmm. in that there's kids in the juvenile justice system recidivism Domestic violence, families, you know, torn apart by gang violence and substance abuse and the opioid crisis and, and all over this country. I mean, these are things that we can actively work to improve and hopefully fix. But it's not just putting a Band-Aid. It's not just locking people up. It's not just throwing a bunch of money. It's, I mean, trust and yes. We do need investment in prevention, by the way. And there is definitely a large return in that investment. But we need to we need to think we need to think about it. We need to actively be involved in what that looks like. So raising children is and developing healthy children, healthy societies is everyone's everyone has a hand in that responsibility, whether or not they have children themselves. 
For wow. sure. So I made a big joke of this whole thing of like, hey, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Right. But I'm as uh, I'm as in on this as yes. anyone is a yes. functioning member of society. Yes. I, I know it sounds kind of jokey. No, but you are. I, I, I love to joke. Haha. But I'm serious <laughs> when I say that you are really important, that the contribution that you have and using your time and your resources and your power to do that is important. It's it's uh, I'm probably misquoting this, but like. Don't ever not realize the difference that like one small action or one person can have mm-hmm. um, because all of those things add up to much bigger things. But anyway, that's true, right? It's like you have to, there's a lot of of small, small movements that make big movements. I feel like you've thought a lot about this specifically about, you know, it taking a village oh, so yeah. to, speak, to raise a child. Like keep, I kind of want to keep hearing you. Yeah. So I, I, I think I generally am like an introvert with extroverted tendencies. So I like my alone time. I am very much about this. I, I like alone time. I, I thrive. I need to like have it to re-energize, but I also understand and live in reality. And again, those two things can coexist, right? Like I can, I can on one hand say, oh, human beings are so problematic. Oh, human beings exhaust me. Oh, human beings. And on the other hand, I really, really care and want to work on and in fact have like dedicated, I think, my professional career now and moving forward to helping human beings be the best versions of themselves. Like be we live in a world where like joy and kindness and all of those values and health and all those things are abundant and not exceptions to the rule. As you're talking, I'm actually wondering as an individual, as a non-parent, like I hear what you're saying, but then part of me is like, wait, but what can I do? And then what can the general public do? And I guess how can people get involved with nurture the next is. So I think that there's lots of things that you can do. Do you have children in your life at all in any way? Just gonna let that question linger there. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, Jen, I have no one. No, I just you know what's interesting about me doing this podcast is we've we've recorded six episodes here, and I recorded the first one the day after I became a, an uncle. I, oh, I had my like, first niece. Congratulations! My, my older brother just had a and his wife just had a baby girl, and now I'm finishing this with you. And on Sunday, I'm gonna go meet that niece for the first time. So that, that feels that's, that's, side of, yeah. So yes, I have a so niece. I, I'm, I, I wasn't saying that to be like silly. I was saying, I don't like to make assumptions. So I didn't want to just no, automatically I, I, I don't have, I don't have children. I, I have a niece, but I yeah. love kids. Right. And you were a kid. And I was a kid. And you eventually will probably, I mean, hopefully it will be of old age, but you'll need help from a kid now that will then be an adult then. Like, there's oh geez this is starting to sound like that children's book i'll love you forever have you heard that one have you read that one which one i'll love you forever oh, don't talk to me about Very that book depressing. I, I don't i don't we we don't mention that that's the book that shall not be named yeah i can't i can't do especially like having a son i can't don't check that. out i'll love you forever no, don't, don't do it it's not humorous but one day <laughs> the cycle of life works such to where i will need to be yes but not only that, so to get back to your point and, and on a serious note, there are like so many ways that you can contribute, that you can be a person that is actively engaged in 
working towards that kind of society and that kind of environment for children. It can look like volunteering. It can look like donating, but it can also look like writing letters to your legislators or calling your legislators or your representatives on issues um, because resource allocation is really important. Like we have the state invest money in services and programs that do create better environments for children as long as they are effective and they work. So you can also be that safe person for a child. So I worked for five years in one of the largest dual purpose safe houses in Florida was a domestic violence, sexual um, violence center. And I did a lot of groups and a lot of work with adolescents. So adolescents that were either in dating violence situations themselves, were living in shelter, came from homes where intimate partner violence was present, just lots of things. And sometimes I had the honor of like doing work with young adults. So they were in, they were in their early 20s or mid 20s. And then they were telling stories or they were, you know, actively engaged in like giving back and like healing through service, which is really common. And across the board, the common denominator in these these people that had like were healing still, but like had had their own like feeling of success and health and all of that. The common denominator was that they had an adult, a safe adult in their life that took an interest in them and was there for them to be that buffer. So there are, you know, that doesn't need to be something you don't need to call. I mean, it's great if you do, you could be a big brother, big sister, all of those things, but you can just also do that with people in your life, Mm -hmm. right? Like maybe you have a friend who's, or somebody that you know, or a relative who has an adolescent that just, you know, is struggling, or maybe there's been like a death of a parent or something is going on, like you taking an active interest in them and developing a relationship with them that's safe and appropriate and being that adult, it it's just transformative. Yeah. So going back to the interdependence. Yeah. Of- yeah. And so you talking to other people about what you've heard, what you've learned, what you know, how it's important. Having people just watch, like if you have social media, share the like t- TED talk on ACEs that Dr. Nadine Burke Harris did that is really great and accessible and not very long and just say like, Everyone should have this information. Yeah. Everybody should know this. All of that stuff is being actively engaged in in making the difference that we're looking to make, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, Jen, this has been great. I'm looking at my questions here. As I'm doing this, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we talk about? This isn't goodbye, by the way. <laughs> these, this these, is see you later. <laughs> the, the, these six episodes, the, the, this isn't a, a closed conversation right you know right the there maybe one day we could do more of these yeah i think the only other thing well there's a few other things that something else that i'll add to kind of illustrate your point about like non-parent non-parent doing air quotes versus like parents and an example that's particularly like relevant and timely is in the covid environment the conversations i have several close friends that don't have any children. They've decided they did not want children. And and some people want children, some people don't 
and that's a lifestyle choice, totally valid. But it's interesting to to see sort of some of the conversations, like the, especially on places like social media and like blogs and stuff, like the debates or the, you know, hot takes or think pieces about like, was it harder to be a parent during COVID or was it harder to be, you know, a single person or a person without children during COVID and just watching this kind of go back and forth. And what you leave with is, I'm going to tell you from my experience, the year of lockdown with COVID, while important, like almost spent me completely like shout out to all the people who, who did that. But also shout out to the people who didn't have children. I know people who were living alone and felt the opposite that I did. I was like, I just need a moment of peace. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I don't, there's no boundaries. There's no, it's constant go, go, go. And then I have other people saying like, I haven't seen another human being in four weeks. (laughs) Like, Well, I, it's, uh, that's, thank you. We haven't touched on COVID too much in this, in this podcast, which I think is a good thing, but yeah, I, that was a thought that entered my mind many times over the past year of like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little listless yeah. right now. Yeah, you know, I had my roommate in my apartment, right. but I was going a little stir crazy. Yeah. But then I was like, man, you know, compared to probably how parents are right now with their their kids in the house, I'm on easy street. Yeah. So I sympathize with what you were. Yes. And perspective is important and does help us sometimes to focus on gratitude because it's really the only true pathway to like joy versus happiness. But also I I would not want to minimize, right? Like sometimes you can, that perspective causes us to like minimize. And when we minimize, we don't take ourselves seriously and we don't do the things we need for us. And ultimately that impacts our kids and whatever. So well, I, I just love that message too, by yeah. the way, that you've been saying about not minimizing yeah. nuance, like yes. being, you know, having humor about it. There's clearly you have perspective and you know what you're talking about. I think a lot of debate and discord, whether it's on parenting or policy or, you know, it it just arrives from like trying to take a very specific position that is inflexible. And then somebody else takes a very specific position that is inflexible. And those things are never going to meet. And isn't, isn't like arguing or, or voice rising, like a sign of like feeling like you have a lack of control. And isn't that just a good metaphor for, for parenting of, of, just feeling like it's out of our control sometimes. And so we, we rush to yell at one another. Yeah. Yes. And that, you know, again, that comes from, you know, how we just, where are we with our stress level? And, and when we do that and when we might raise our voices at our children or not have the patience or just say like, I can't, I can't deal with you right now. Like that we also, and I know other folks have touched on this in the other podcasts as well, but like having grace for yourself as a parent is important because we do, we are human beings. And the best way to, in my opinion, and what's worked for me is the best way to, to deal with the after effects of that. If you're concerned is to actually apologize to your kids, if it's appropriate and have conversations with your kids about why you did that. And then what, what maybe would have been a better solution and that it's your responsibility and, you know, you can do whatever discipline needs to be done and you can also do that. So that is, you're not going to be this like wonderfully gentle, nurturing parent all of the time, mm-hmm. or maybe that's just not your style at all. But when you do something that you recognize is probably not great or harmful, you pro- you should own up to it. Take responsibility. Yeah. You said there were a couple things you wanted to mention. Was there one more? 
if I had to kind of give like the distill down to the residual messages here that we hope people take away, not only from this conversation, but also from all of the others is that there's always new things to learn and that we really need to be open to, to being able to adapt when we get new information. And that is very, very true in the world of parenting and in caring for children and infants and in what's best. And we need to maintain kind of that mental flexibility to be able to absorb those messages and grow as a parent. The other is that every person has a responsibility to be actively engaged in safer communities and societies. And that looks different for each person, but there are so many ways to do that and so many opportunities. There's a lot of information out there. And the third is that having questions, struggling, doubting, all of those things with being a parent does not mean there's anything wrong with you. It does not mean that you are a failure. It is to be expected. Mm -hmm. Like one of, yeah, one of the, the phrases that we, the phrasing that we use is babies don't come with instructions. Like, I mean, you just have a baby and suddenly you're expected to know yeah. what to do. Like they never check your credit. Like I didn't know that you couldn't give a baby under one honey. Like what's that? <laughs> Botulism? Huh? I'm so confused. I've never heard of this before. So there's like you, you're, you have to learn these things and it's normal to be anxious about it. Yeah. It's, it means you have humility and it means that you know that you do need that support and everyone needs it at a different level. And there's nothing wrong with you as a parent. If you, and and there's nothing wrong if you are have your journey is a little longer or different because of your own experiences or because of, you know, it could be multiple things. But those things are not they're not written in the stars. Right. Like you can create your own future. You can make those changes just like ACEs are not, you know, the end all be all of how the trajectory of your life is going to go health wise and all of that. I mean, those things can be shifted. They can be redirected. And so by being, you know, cautiously optimistic, but also um, kind of keeping that hope is really, really important Important, and laughing and finding levity and and humor wow. in our experiences as people. Jen, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To Nurture the Next for entrusting me with this. We appreciate it so much. It's really been great to talk to you. And we are so excited about people like hearing these messages and challenging us if they have questions or, you know, again, we're always learning too. And I think it's important to have those conversations because that's how we grow and learn. So we appreciate you very much. Should we high five just to... Let's do it. Yes. Uh, what do we got to do one more time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And you can hear it, whatever. Uh, Here, one more time. Oh, uh, right. yeah. All, All right. right. There we go. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Sponsored by Nurture the Next and Saracor. To learn more, please visit nurturethenext.org. And follow I Sleep Great on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.